Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Just a little explanation on next Sunday. Uh, I got a phone call this morning at about 7.30 or so when my mind was on trying to get my message printed out for this morning, get it off the computer and on paper, and et cetera. If I do a switch for next Sunday, and I kind of tentatively said yes, but I haven't. 100% agreed, so likely. This morning, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Last time I preached, we finished up chapter 6. And you may remember that last fall, Last November, for our council meeting message, we looked at the first five verses of chapter 7. So we won't be looking at them this morning, but I did think I'd give just a very brief overview of those verses. In chapter 7, 1 through 5, we see Jesus giving us some direction and relating to others within his kingdom. If you notice in those verses, it specifically speaks of uh, in verse verse five. It specifically speaks about in relation to our brother, uh, verse four as well. So it seemed that those first five verses are giving some direction in how we relate to others within the kingdom of God. And his, he admonishes us not to judge. And again, that's a reminder to us to not be judgmental, not be condemning. But it's not telling us that we don't have the right to discern right from wrong. In fact, later on in the chapter... Jesus specifically tells us that we're to be on the lookout for false teachers. He tells us that we're supposed to discern between false teaching and correct teaching. So we are called to discern, to make a judgment on whether something is right or wrong. But I believe specifically in these first five verses, he is telling us that we are not to be condemning, especially of our brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. We are to uh, I've lost my place in my notes. We're, we're to he's, he's admonishing us as we, as we relate in difficult situations or times of disagreement or uh, where we see a, a fault or a flaw in someone else, to do it in a very humble way, to be concerned that we're, that we're coming to that person out of a heart of concern for, the, for them and for their soul not in a self-righteous or condemning attitude of, I'm here to correct your problem and to straighten you out, or a 
an attitude of putting them down. Our desire should be to lift our brother or sister up. So that's the admonition for relating to those within the body of Christ. So now we're ready to continue on with verse 6. Verse 6 is a verse that may be a little difficult to understand. It's a little, might seem out of place here in, in this context. It says this, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. You can open up your commentaries and find pretty quickly that there's lots of different commentary and interpretation of these verses. But I'm one who believes that we need to take Scripture fairly literally. There are places where Scripture clearly has figurative senses to it. But I believe that we need to take things relatively literally. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't talking about literally taking a handful of pearls out to the pig pen. He's speaking in in somewhat of a literal sense. So we need to consider what he's talking about so that we can make application within our, our experience. So what do you see talking about when he says, Give not that which is holy to the dogs, and cast not your pearls before swine. Something that is holy is something that is pure. It's without blemish. It's something that is unmarred, unstained by sin. Holy things are things of God. Because sin is the only thing that separates something from God. And so if it's holy, it's, it's something of God. Holy things are also the opposite of things that are sinful. So that's, that's what he's talking about. Things that are pure, things that are of God. Now a pearl, we probably all know what a pearl is, but a pearl is a little beautiful thing that is formed when a grain of sand or something gets in an oyster. And that oyster coats that with that inner shell material and makes this beautiful little pearl. Pearls are a thing of beauty. And they have value. In fact, they're an ingredient in jewelry because of their beauty and their value. They're used as jewelry. So he's talking about something that is beautiful, something that is valuable. Now, if you owned some real pearls... You certainly wouldn't do what he is saying here and take them out to the pig pen and 
toss them to the pigs and expect them to have an appreciation for those pearls. Rather, you'd keep them in a safe and secure place because of their value, because of their beauty, because they're special to you. And you'd share that, the beauty of those pearls probably only with people who would really have an appreciation, who would see the value that, you have, that, that they are to you. So I believe that what Jesus is telling us here is that the teachings and the principles of the kingdom of heaven are, is something that is beautiful. It's valuable, and it's holy. It's something of God. It's a treasure that we are to be honored to possess. We're not to hold it lightly. We're to treat it as we would something that is an earthly treasure. So then what are the dogs and the pigs? That might get a little stickier. But I think that what we need to look at isn't just the terms he uses here, but look at the action of these dogs and pigs that he describes. He says that the result of giving these holy and precious things to these animals is to have them trample them under their feet and turn and attack the giver. And so I believe that it's fairly clear that he's warning us against those whom we may try to share these kingdom principles, these precious truths from his word, from this Sermon on the Mount, who have no appreciation for the value, no appreciation for the beauty, and instead of being accepting, would, it, would turn upon the giver. I think he's speaking of people who have no interest and no respect or appreciation for the things of God, the things that are holy and pure and precious in God's kingdom. Now, don't take me wrong. I don't think that this is telling us that we're not to share the message of the gospel. But rather, I think Christ is telling us that we need to be careful and discerning and sharing the gospel and sharing these kingdom principles that he's giving to us. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who have who truly have a desire to know God, to know the truth. They're, they're seeking after an understanding of God. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who, just like these dogs and pigs that he describes, we could call them scorners. They have no interest in things of God, no interest in things that are holy. They have placed no value on these things. 
And if we present them to them, they're probably going to turn and attack us, maybe just verbally, not physically. And I think Jesus is telling us we need to use caution. We, we, need, to, we need to not waste these precious pearls on those who are just going to trample them under their feet. You know, the principles of the kingdom can't be forced upon people. People have to be receptive. And there's many who are, but there's also those who are not. And you know, this, this whole thing of, of people, whether they're receptive or not to the message of, of the kingdom, is why it has not worked for right-wing politicians in our country to try to legislate morality. Within the Sermon on the Mount, there's many principles that are contrary, contradictory to normal human thinking. And you put that out in front of a lot of people, and they do nothing, their reaction is nothing but, but total rejection. They just say, that won't work. But when somebody accepts those principles and puts them into practice, that's when we learn that there's a true blessing in following these commands of Christ. And so people have to be receptive. They have to be willing to taste and see that the Lord is good, as the psalmist said. We can't force them to accept. So Jesus, I believe, is calling us to use wisdom, to be discerning in how we share the treasures of his kingdom. And you know, this is in line with what Jesus told his disciples as well. At one point during his ministry, he sent his disciples out to go into the surrounding countryside, to the villages, and to preach that the kingdom of God was at hand. And his instructions to them was to go into a home or a city and to give the message of the kingdom. And if they were rejected, his direction was that they were to shake the dust off of their feet as they left. And he said that it would be more bearable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for those people than for those people who had rejected the opportunity to accept the message of the kingdom. And so I believe that Jesus is interested in people who are, who are open, people who are receptive, and I think he's telling us that we need to be, use discernment. And again, that's not that we don't share. It's not that we don't, uh, that we look at somebody and go, well, I don't think they'll be receptive, so I'm not going to share this with them. But yet when somebody has no interest and they reject the, the 
the beauties, the, the valuable treasures of the kingdom of God, I think there's, it's appropriate for us to move on and, and go to the person who, who is receptive. And probably one of our most powerful witnessing tools, especially to these people who are scorners, who do not appreciate the beauty of the gospel, is our lives. As we live according to the principles of the kingdom, others will take notice. But then we need to be prepared to explain when they ask questions, well, why do you live like this? We need to be prepared to explain the beauty and the blessing of the kingdom in our life. What it has done for us. What Christ, how Christ has changed our lives. How living according to his principles is a blessing to me and my family. All right, we may touch just a little bit more on that later. But I'd like to move on to verses 7 through 12. I'll read those at this time. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom it whom if his, if his son asks bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things unto them that ask him? We'll stop there at verse 11 for now. Wednesday evening, Franklin gave us some thoughts on these verses from uh, Luke's account. These verses are interesting verses because on the surface it appears that we can get anything we ask for. This looks like a blank check from our Heavenly Father. And in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. So as we look at this, we see in verse 7, first of all, that he admonishes us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And to me it seems like that there's maybe different levels of desire here in these actions. To ask is maybe for us to see and acknowledge. You know, we, we, have it, we come to the understanding that we have a need, and so we ask. To seek seems to me like we're putting a little more effort into it. We're, we're being diligent. And to knock has the idea of persistence. The idea of continual asking 
until God has answered our prayer, till we have got the direction from God we're seeking. And we're promised in verse 8 that if we ask, we're going to receive. If we seek, we're going to find. If we knock, the door will be opened. So first of all in this, I see that we can bring our request to God with confidence. We can be confident that God will hear and will answer our requests. In fact, in chapter 6 of Matthew, in verse 8, we're told, Jesus tells us that God already knows what our needs are before we ask him. So then, with that knowledge, why do we need to ask and seek and knock? If God already knows, I believe that this asking and seeking and knocking is for our benefit in many ways more than for God's benefit. God knows our needs. God knows what's best for us. But yet he wants us to ask and to seek, to knock. God wants us to be persistent in our requests. He teaches that in Luke 18 in the parable of the persistent widow where she continued to bring her request to the judge of her town until her request was granted. God clearly desires persistence in our prayers. I believe that God values the depth of our desire and our recognition of our, of our need of his help. So often, at least this is true for me, so I assume it probably is for everybody else as well, we have a need. We have something that we desire God to meet a certain need or to give us direction. And you know, we pray about it for a day or two or a week. And then before long, our little brains that go down bunny trails all the time, we forget about that need and we focus on something else and we quit asking. And then we wonder, we think about it again, well, why didn't God answer that prayer? But I ask, if all we did was ask one time or two or three or four times, did we really have the need? Did we really desire for an answer? If we're truly burdened by need, I think we're going to be willing to not just ask once or twice and drop the issue but to continue asking, to be that asker that knocks until the door is opened. I probably told this story before. But the story is told that George Mueller had a number of men for whom he'd prayed daily 
for their salvation for approximately 50 years. I think it was five men. Several of those men were saved shortly before George Mueller's death, and the rest of them were saved shortly after his passing. There's an example of persistent prayer. George was asking, he was seeking, and he was knocking for 50 years, and that prayer was answered. Would have those men found the Lord if George had not been persistent for 50 years? We don't know the answer to that. But I believe that his persistence in prayer paid off. That over that time, God continued to work in the hearts of those men and work in the hearts of those men until he brought them to the point where they were willing to surrender their lives to Christ. So how important to you are the things that you pray for? How persistent are you willing to be? And I'm speaking to myself because I have failed many times, even in something that's very important to me. I find myself thinking, you know, I haven't prayed about certain thing or a certain person that I have a burden for for a while. But I believe the lesson here is that there is a reward for persistence in our prayer, our persistence in seeking God's answer. And moving on, verses 9 through 11, Jesus likens the goodness as as we come to our Heavenly Father asking for answers in prayer. Jesus likens our Heavenly Father to that of an earthly father. And I believe that these verses do so much to help us understand God and His goodness to us and His desire for us to have good things. I think we can all relate to the fact that a good father would never answer the request for his child for something good. You know, the examples given here of, of a son asking for bread or a fish. You're asking for something good and necessary for the sustenance of life. We'd never expect an earthly father to answer that request by giving something harmful, something that wouldn't meet that need, something that could be damaging. You know, us as fathers, we'd never do that. We'd never purposefully answer a request for something good by giving something that is harmful. Because we desire for our children to have what is good. We desire for them to have what is beneficial to them. Now what we view as beneficial to them isn't always what they view as beneficial to them. And so we don't, a good father doesn't give his children everything they ask for. 
but rather he doesn't substitute something evil or harmful for something that is good. He's discerning. That desire to give good things and to bless our children is a normal human desire. And Jesus is saying here that just as earthly fathers who have evil tendencies, I mean, you can, you can find some pretty rough fathers in this world, and they still would have the, the, the good of their children in, in, in mind. They, they still would desire for, for their children to have what is good. And so Jesus is saying that just as earthly fathers who have evil tendencies want to do good for their children, how much more does God, our Heavenly Father, The perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing Heavenly Father desire to give good things to His children here on earth. And I think it should be, when we read these verses, I think that it should just bless our hearts abundantly that we have a Heavenly Father that cares for us and wants to give us good things. And when we ask for something and we don't get it, we can rest assured that God still has our best in mind. So why aren't all of our prayers answered? Why don't we get everything that we ask for? Our earthly fathers have been limited by time and resources and knowledge and what they can give. But our Heavenly Father is unlimited, but yet we still don't get it all when we ask. First of all, we must remember God knows best. God's unlimited in his knowledge, so he knows what is best for you and for me. And you have to admit, we all ask for a lot of things, ask God for a lot of things that probably aren't the best for us at times. We don't always realize that at the time, and down the road we may. Also, we need to consider what we're asking for and why. In James 4, 3, we're told, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So many times we ask with wrong motives. It's simply... I want it for me. It's, it's a, a lustful or a selfish desire. It's not for our good. So we need to consider our motives. We need to consider if our request lines up with the principles of God's kingdom. You know, there's some things we can pray for that we always know are God's will. We can pray for the salvation of souls, and we know that that is God's will, because he says that it is not his will that any should perish. But then there's a lot of other things we pray for that, in our finite minds, we struggle to know whether it's God's will or not. 
But if we look at these principles of the kingdom, a lot of times we can start to flesh out whether what we're desiring is something that falls within the teachings of Christ. Many of the things that we tend to value in life are things that are of little value in the kingdom of God. So when we ask for certain things, we shouldn't be surprised when we don't receive. You know, some of the things that are highly valued in the kingdom of God are people, relationships, and service to others. And what do we usually ask for? We a lot of times ask for things that are focused on self and my pleasure and that type of thing. And then we wonder why, why is is God slow at answering my prayers? It should be clear to us when we realize that God is a discerning and loving Heavenly Father. That he has our best interests in mind. But he has our best interests in mind in light of the principles of his kingdom. His kingdom is in focus. Not my pleasure. Not my popularity. Etc. So we need to rest in the fact that God is good. And that God has our good in mind, in light of his kingdom. Moving on to verse 12, I'd like to cover that yet today. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would, would that men should do unto you, do you even so to them, for this, is the, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus gives us a brief command that gives us direction for all of our relationships in life. If we could follow this perfectly, most, if not all, interpersonal relationship problems would be avoided. But I'd like to point out, I'd like you to notice the frame of reference that we are to use as we relate to others. Jesus is telling us that we are to use our own selfish desires as a frame of reference for how we treat others. We're to think about self and then turn that around and do it to others. So in any given situation, we only have to think about what we would want if we were in that person's shoes and then do to them what we'd want done to us. It's pretty simple. There's a good example of this in the Bible. That even though it was done accidentally, it still gives a good illustration of the principle. And we're not going to turn and read the verses because you know the story. But in the book of Esther, we have recorded how the king became aware of what Mordecai did for him. And he wanted to honor Mordecai. In that morning, Haman came walking into the king's chamber, his throne room, wherever he was. And the king looked up and he said, what should be done to the man the king delights to honor? And Haman immediately thought of self. 
And he said, well, you know, you could get a robe the king's worn, one of the king's horses. You can dress this man up and you can lead him through the city and say, this is what is done to the man the king delights to honor. Haman was thinking about nothing but self. And he ended up doing it to his enemy. But it's an example of doing to someone else what you would have done to you. What if, when we're faced with a decision of how to treat someone, what if we would be like Haman and think, what would I want if that was me? And then act accordingly. You know, our selfish nature gets in the way very much. But Jesus is saying that in his kingdom, we need to put others ahead of self. And it's interesting that Jesus here says that that this is the law and the prophets, or that this sums up the law and the prophets. And another time, a lawyer came to Jesus questioning him, trying to get him to, to trying to trip Jesus up. <clears throat> And he asked him what the greatest command was. And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is likened to it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he summed that up by saying that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So basically, Jesus was saying that here, in, in that other reference, that all that's contained in the Old Testament law and the prophets was given to try to get men to love God and to love their fellow man. That if we do all those things, we're living a life that God desires for us to live. There's another similar verse in Romans 13.10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So I think Jesus is saying that for us to be a member of his kingdom, we need to lay aside self and to make serving others a priority. It's the example that Jesus gave. It's the example of Christ in his ministry and in his sacrifice for our sins. When mankind fell into sin, he became an inward-focused, self-absorbed, self-centered, self-concerned, self-seeking, self-serving, and you can go on and on, being. It's all about self. It's far from what God intended when he created man. And Jesus here is pointing us back to that life that God intends for his people. And I believe that he's saying that as we live according to the golden rule, we're going to find that there's many blessings in it. 
you know, I considered that golden rule, and I thought, you know, how, how does that play out in life? Because if I go around doing to others as, as I would have them do to me, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably going to give everything away and be working for free. And, but I think Jesus is saying that as we, as, as we do that, as we strive for that, I'm pointing you back to the life that God intended for his people to live. And I think when we do it, we'll find that there's many blessings in it. And not just for the, for the others that we're serving and doing good to, but blessings for ourselves as well. That's how God's laws work. As we serve others and submit to God's standards for living, we find blessing and fulfillment in our lives. Our selfish nature tries to keep everything focused on us. But Jesus is saying that as we conquer that selfish nature and we serve others, that's what opens up life to an abundant and fulfilled life. Yet because of that veil of of selfishness, that comes with our sinful nature, we struggle to see that. Also, I said we'd come back around a little bit to talk about witnessing to others. As we focus on serving and doing good to others rather than focusing on self, we open up the way to be able to share those precious treasures of the kingdom of heaven. I read in the commentary, it's getting late and I need to move on, but I read in the commentary of a uh, situation where there was a bunch of young people from different nations, different countries around the world at a camp, a Christian camp, and they were discussing one evening how they witness to people in their different areas and they asked a girl from Africa and she said well really we don't do a lot of handing out literature and stuff like that we just send a Christian family or two to live in another village and after they've lived there a while everyone else wants to be a Christian too that's what this is talking about when we live it it gives us the opportunity to share those, those beautiful pearls and those holy things of the kingdom with others who maybe, if we tried to force them upon, upon them, they would be the dogs or the pigs that would turn upon us. So by following the golden rule, We're going to create an environment where people are receptive to the message of the kingdom. If we're self-centered, we're going to drive people away. So in conclusion to these passages, let's remember to witness with wisdom. Seek to share the treasures of the kingdom with those who are open and receptive. And let's realize how valuable and precious the treasures of the kingdom of heaven are. And we must also remember that we're serving 
a loving Heavenly Father who, whose intent is to bless us abundantly for our good in light of his kingdom. But it's our responsibility to ask, to seek, and to knock, to be persistent. And also, let's not fail to remember as we go through life to lay aside self and seek to serve and help others so that we can promote the beautiful kingdom of heaven. And in so doing, we'll find a blessed and fulfilled life. May God bless you.